welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Ring of Fire, The Young Turks, and Rachel Maddow. Is George W. Bush the worst president this country has ever had? It's a question that many citizens are now considering. Among them is Professor Sean Willens, one of the country's leading historians. He is the George Henry Davis 1886 Professor of American History and Director of the Program in American Studies at Princeton University. Professor Willens is a Pulitzer Prize-winning finalist and the author of The Rise of American Democracy, Jackson to Lincoln. We invited him on Ring of Fire to talk about an article he recently wrote for Rolling Stone entitled the worst president in history. It does have a question mark at the end. Professor Willens, it's great to have you here on Ring of Fire. Bobby, great to be here. Well, tell me first, what's been the reaction to your article? Uh, Much bigger than I thought. You know, Rolling Stone is a big deal, but I think that it hit a nerve that I wasn't quite expecting it would hit. Your understanding is that Rolling Stone is getting correspondence that opposes your conclusions in the article? Yes. Um, from what I gather, the mail is running pretty heavy. I mean, as I said in the, in the piece, there are, you know, something like, what, a third of the electorate is deeply committed to the idea that uh, the current administration walks on water. You break down the Bush presidency into three categories. One is Bush at war, the other is Bush at home, and the third one is just the performance of the executive. In other words, presidential misconduct. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about those. Bush at war. How does he compare to other presidents who have taken our country to war? What's most striking is how, after an initial rallying of the country after the attacks of September 11, 2001, the Bush administration did not reach out to the Democrats. By the time the 2000, 2002 midterms were on, People around the White House were actually demonizing the Democrats and uh, running all kinds of nasty ads, the Max Cleland ad being the most famous, uh, the most notorious. Linking Max Cleland, an injured war hero and paraplegic, to Osama bin Laden. Exactly. I mean, you couldn't get any lower or more divisive. I mean, he was a president who had run on the idea that he was going to be a united, not a divider, going to be a compassionate conservative. And yet, as a war president, he has not reached out to the Democrats. He's not brought any high-profile Democrats into the planning of the war. Previous presidents, going back to Abraham Lincoln taking in a war Democrat, he had ran one for his, uh, as his vice president in 1864. All through the Cold War, President Kennedy, the crises of the Cold War, the Bay of Pigs, the, um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, reached out his, to Republicans. His chief advisor was Bob McNamara, who was a lifelong Republican. Well, well, exactly. So if you're going to be leading the country in what it has to be a national struggle, then you have to be a national leader. What the Bush administration did was to choose partisanship over leadership. It's interesting, and you point this out, that his approval ratings at the time, on September 10th, 2001, were already the lowest of almost any president in history. They were, they were around the 30% range. Yeah, he, he, was, he was not doing well in his first months. At the September 11th bombing, it skyrocketed his yeah. approval ratings to the highest in their history, up to 90%. Yeah, that's right. The nation was in deep grief and wanted to rally around the president. And I actually think that 
President Bush did a fairly good job those first weeks. I mean, forget about the day itself, which was kind of chaotic, but the speech before the joint uh, session of Congress and so forth, his swift reaction to the Taliban, I think that that encouraged the American people. It was only afterward that you can see a fairly steady, almost precipitous decline in his public standing. You know, he's gone from the highest rating to ratings now that are the lowest of any twice-elected president on record that we have, you know, polling data for. Um, the lowest at this point in his term than anyone other than Richard Nixon during the um, weeks before his resignation. One of the shocking statistics that I found in your article was the national debt. He's run up a higher debt, $1.5 trillion, than all the previous presidents combined. He's borrowed more from foreign lending organizations and foreign governments. That's right. You know, if you're going to cut taxes precipitously and uh, be spending so much on military spending, you're going to come fall short. And you're going to have to find the money somewhere. What other missteps have been made that have affected his well, poll numbers on the domestic front? I mean, the tax cuts, which were ended up being, you know, the heart of his domestic policy in the end, didn't deliver what he said they would deliver. The economy, uh, although doing well overall uh, by certain figures, is not as robust for the average American as the White House says it is. I mean, in fact, in the last year or so, nominal real wages have actually declined slightly when um, eaten away by uh, inflation, which is low, but still is higher than a nominal wage increases. I, I suppose that there's a, a, a general feeling that there's some indifference by this administration towards domestic policies, particularly after Katrina. Well, I think that Katrina kind of summed it all up. I mean, it was the culmination. I mean, this is the first presidency that I can think of that is actually actively hostile to science. The ways in which the administration has turned a, uh, uh, a blind eye to issues like global warming and gas house emissions, the, the whole question then of sort of deference to the hard conservative sort of Christian dominionist right has led them to take uh, stances on everything from the morning after pill on down the line that American people know is, is, is out of line with mainstream values. It's gotten to the point where federally financed websites are forbidden to use words like reproductive health or even the word condoms. This amid a worldwide a crisis of AIDS and HIV. And, and so Katrina, in some ways, was a, was a culmination of this indifference that you talked about, I think quite rightly, and a kind of uh, blind eye to science because people were warning in advance about hurricanes being intensified and the levees in, in New Orleans being fragile. And then afterwards, it turns out that the, you know, the FEMA, which had been one of the best-run federal agencies, through indifference, again, I think, turned into a kind of nest of cronyism. But at the end of March, we learned that uh, his chief coordinator for Gulf Disaster Relief is saying that New Orleans might not make it back for another 25 years. This adds to a sense of not just of domestic indifference, but I think of a real credibility gap. Sean, will you stay with us and talk more after the break? Absolutely. We'll be right back with Princeton historian Sean Willens talking about the future legacy of the current president, whether he will in fact go down in history as the very worst president our country has ever had. This is Howard Zinn. When Richard Nixon abused power, Congress held a serious bipartisan investigation that resulted in articles of impeachment. Strong evidence suggests that George Bush and Dick Cheney launched an illegal war and lied to Congress, spied on Americans without court approval, leaked classified information, produced false news reports, imprisoned without charge, and tortured targeted civilians and used illegal weapons. Ask your Congress member to co-sponsor House Resolution 635 for an investigation. 
Boston Globe over the weekend had a terrific piece on uh, Dick Cheney and his staff. Uh, since I did that commercial for American Prospect, every time I keep thinking, Dick Cheney and his secretive staff. Uh, anyway, uh, and he, he basically here's what they're doing. And the reason I'm bringing that up now is because it relates to the national security letters. It relates to this uh, the going on to the Internet and telling the Internet providers, hey, you got to give us all your information. Big government, you know, big brother getting more and more of a reach. Apparently what's happening is Addington, who was the legal counsel to Dick Cheney and who is now his chief of staff after his last chief of staff was indicted and is facing trial, uh, they sit there, Cheney and Addington, they get every piece of legislation passed by Congress. And they basically take out a red pen. And I'm begging you to go read, uh, read the story for yourself on theyoungturks.com. See that this is no exaggeration. The red pen's not in the story. That I'm using, like the boiling frog, for illustrative purposes. Uh, and they take a red pen, they're like, yeah, nah, I don't like that part. Uh, uh, uh. So they write up a signing statement saying, yeah, we were, we're not going to follow that part of the law. Now, is that constitutional? Of course not. It's not even close. There's nothing in the Constitution. You know how uh, throughout uh, the decades, people have been arguing for a line item veto. Right. And uh, once it we got passed, and then it was declared yeah, unconstitutional. That's my recollection. Yeah, but it's also the, the line item veto was different. That was different provisions of a law, like A, B, and C, as part of a law. These guys are changing sentences, mm -hmm. and it was but for we budget know purposes. That if it's in the Constitution at this point, this administration goes, "Thank you for that consideration. We're going to go this way." Instead. I would love. Uh, you know what? I'd like to see Dick Cheney and his and his uh, and his staff uh, go through the Constitution. Oh, yeah. Nah, 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 we don't need nah, that. Nah, no. nah, nah. Okay. Fifth. That's crazy. Cruel and unusual. I don't know. Oh, so. <laughs> Look at the Eighth <laughs> Amendment. <laughs> hey, Addington, get a little of the Eighth Amendment. <laughs> What's that word? Speedy. Speedy. Oh, that's ridiculous. It'll <laughs> cause less argument if they can just rewrite it yeah. entirely. Yeah. Well, and, and that's exactly what they're trying yeah, to do, at least in terms of the, like the, the bill, laws. The, 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 the chain would be like, oh, the Bill of Rights is the Bill of Rights. It's the three amendments we had to the Constitution. <laughs> Three amendments, good enough. Two's good. We love two. Yeah, two rocks. Yeah. All right, so uh, they're going uh, line by line, and the line item video, of course, was for budget reasons too. Like you know, get rid of the bridge to nowhere, et cetera. That yeah. was the positive argument for the line item video, which I bought for a while, and I, you know, I could still we could still have a discussion about that. But this is a a different line item video. This is like you pass a law saying you got to do X, Y, and Z, and you go, nah, I'd like to do X and Z. Why is it pain in the ass? And line no, item that, veto. That's not the line item veto. That's not what it was. I also like the idea in the line item veto, though, that it would be like timeouts in a football game. Mm -hmm. Like you'd get three per term. Oh, right. So you can't be like crazy. You go, I got to use three, and I got two years left. So you and, and if the Supreme Court overrules you, then you have less left. You, you lose a time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Okay. So now, this, so this is a long way of saying this is totally unprecedented. It is totally illegal. There's, what I mean by unprecedented is there's no law that gives a president the power to go line by line in laws that Congress passed legally and say, I'm not going to follow them. That's crazy. That's nuts. So they asked the guys in the Reagan administration. Then Boston Globe did a terrific investigative story on These this. are the same guys, uh, uh, I, I believe. I've just assumed it. It's the same guys who broke the story that there are 750 laws of the administration. Yeah, those are the same signing statements. So they go to the Reagan guys and they say... No, I mean the same guys, same reporters when you talk yes. about the guys who did a great right. job. Yeah. 
Uh, they go to the Reagan guys and they say, "You guys came up with the signing statements in the first place." And you know, uh, and remember, the guy who did Sam was Alito. a young lawyer by the name of Sam Alito. And so, uh, you know, you guys have done it. Bu- uh, first Bush has done it. Clinton's done it. But obviously, Bush's the second Bush has done it to a far larger degree than anybody else. And by the way, for the record, Reagan and and H W did it. A lot more than Clinton did. Okay. And, and, and in previous administrations did it as a way of sort of explaining what they were looking for with the law, too, and less of how they were going to ignore it. So they asked the Reagan guys, well, well, you guys did it, too, so what's the big deal about the Bush guys? And the Reagan guys say, no, 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 no. When we did it, it was if a law is vague in a certain area, Congress, in their notes, say this is what we meant by it. And we wanted the president to be able to say this is what we meant by when we signed it, okay? Now, even that's pretty controversial, and we've had law professors on here to talk about how the controversial that is. And that, those were the Reagan guys. But the Reagan guys then say, we never meant on a clear law that I'm going to put a signing statement that says I'm not going to follow that law. What the guys in the Cheney administration are doing is absurd and over the top. They're like, we ne- nobody ever intended that. That's nuts. And it shows you a second thing, and that's why I want you to read it. Bush has no part of this process. None. Cheney is your real president. That's it. Bottom line. This is Colonel Ann Wright. I resigned from the State Department in protest over the war in Iraq the day the war began. I had served in the State Department for 16 years and for 29 years in the U.S. Army and Army Reserves. The war in Iraq was a war of choice, not a necessity for our national defense. The Bush administration now bombs countries rather than speaking to them. We in the Congress were lied to and we need an investigation of those lies. Please ask your Congress member to impeach George Bush and Dick Cheney for the lies they have told and the dangerous situation they've placed our country in. Right now, we're back with Professor Sean Willens, one of the country's leading historians. He's director of program in American studies at Princeton University, and he wrote a recent article for Rolling Stone entitled The Worst President in History, punctuated with a question mark, we should note. We'll move on to the category of presidential misconduct, and I want to read one really striking paragraph in your piece, uh, Historians remain divided about the actual grievances of many of these allegations and crimes. Scholars reasonably describe the graft and corruption around the Grant administration, for example, as gargantuan, including a kickback scandal that led to the resignation of Grant's Secretary of War under the shadow of impeachment. Yet the scandals produced no indictments of cabinet secretaries and only one White House aide who was acquitted. By contrast, the most scandal-ridden administration in the modern era, apart from Nixon's, was Ronald Reagan's, now widely remembered through a haze of nostalgia as a paradigm of virtue. A total of 29 Reagan officials, including White House National Security Advisor Robert McFarlane and Deputy Chiefs of Staff Michael Deaver, were convicted on charges stemming from the Iran-Contra affair, from illegal lobbying, and a looting scandal inside the Department of Housing and Urban Development, Three cabinet officials, HUD Secretary Samuel Pierce, Attorney General Edwin Meese, Secretary of Defense Casper Weinberger, left their posts under clouds of scandal. And you forgot uh, James Watt, who was indicted, who had nine indictments and who was the Secretary of Interior. Yeah, I didn't Um, want to pile on, I guess, but that's right. (laughs) In contrast, not a single official of the Clinton administration was ever indicted over his or her White House duties, despite repeated high-profile investigations, 
and a successful, highly partisan impeachment drive. That, you know, I, I believe that this is in some ways part of the Republican ideology. What, what's happened to the Republican Party is that it's come to be controlled by corporations. Mm-hmm. And corporations, of course, don't want a democracy. They don't want free markets. They want profits. And once they capture control of government, their inclination is to plunder. And you get these kind of scandals. And I think that the Bush administration is kind of the paradigm of, of crony capitalism and, and corporate domination. And what happens to a government when they lose interest in governing, governing and uh, their only interest is, is in plundering? I think that's true, um, but there's another side to it as well. There's an additional element, which is on foreign policy and the drive for secrecy which is something that uh, we saw even before September 11th um, with Vice President Cheney's energy panel and so forth. But with foreign policy, Iran-Contra, questions, current investigations over the Valerie Plame incident, which was certainly related to foreign policy. I mean, I think that this also has gotten uh, Republican policymakers in a great deal of trouble because they are resistant to public scrutiny. Even in this administration, which has a very compliant Congress and has really escaped scrutiny from Congress, nevertheless, there is this idea of keeping things under wraps, of keeping things secret. And if you keep things secret, if you don't have transparency, the likelihood of some sort of uh, scandalous behavior occurring goes up astronomically. And despite the lack of scrutiny by the by Congress, you still have had three very high-level indictments. Uh, Scooter Libby, who's the mm-hmm. vice president's chief of staff. Larry Franklin, who the press hasn't even covered. But yeah. he's a high-ranking Defense Department official who's pleaded guilty of divulging classified information to a foreign power mm-hmm. uh, while working at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. And then David Safavian. These are names that I think if there'd been a Democratic president would be household names, but most Americans probably wouldn't even know who these gentlemen are. You know, that's another question of how the uh, how this misconduct is covered, how much coverage it does get. Uh, some people have criticized me for making this assessment you know, with, with two and a half years to go, and I, and I say, look, that's true. We're in the third quarter of this game. I'm not saying who's, what the final score is going to be, only where things stand now. But, you know, look at the, the possible further indictments. Uh, we still have Mr. Rove. The Abramov scandal seems to be metastasizing. Um, it could end up becoming the largest congressional scandal in American history. And it seems to be it seems to involve Republicans only. So, um, and I'm not trying I'm not trying to be partisan here. I'm just reporting what the facts are. But there hasn't been the kind of coverage. Well, you remember under the Clinton administration, during the Clinton administration, I mean, every small transgression was picked up by the Republican Congress or alleged transgression, then the press went crazy. And so you had Travelgate, which turned out to be uh, nothing. You had, in fact, you ended up even with, you know, the Lewinsky matter, which turned out to be very little. Um, You ended up with Whitewater. I mean, how many millions of dollars were spent investigating Whitewater, constantly being churned up by the cable news stations, constantly being churned up by the Republicans and their contacts in the press. And it went on and on and on, and there was nothing there. There was nothing there. In fact, even after a report had come out, the Pillsbury report, that had said there's nothing there, they continued with the thing. One of the areas that I think historians are bound to focus on is the attempted expansion of executive power by this president. Right. Talk about that a little bit. Well, this is something that, as I found out, actually, Bobby, since the piece came out, that is upsetting lots of Republicans as well as Democrats. 
And that is the ways in which this White House has really, truly expanded executive power beyond anything that the framers of the Constitution had in mind. The president and his legal um, spokesman, Albert Gonzalez, the attorney general, has basically declared that in wartime, the president's powers as commander-in-chief are unfettered, are unlimited. No previous wartime president, either hot war or cold war, has ever made such a grandiose claim. And then there's the issue of checks and balances, quite apart from the commander-in-chief. I just read a piece in the Boston Globe that showed this president having signed hundreds of so-called signing statements. What a signing statement is, is that when the president um, signs a bill into law, he signs the bill into law, he doesn't veto it, but then declares how he's going to enact that law, how he's going to execute that law. So he's in basically ways, made Congress irrelevant. What he's done is he's installed a line-item veto. He's saying, I will not do this. That's not constitutional. He can't do that, but he is, in effect, doing it, and he's getting away with it. And he's appointed a Supreme Court justice whose idea was to oh, well, exactly. invent signing statements. It, this all started in the Reagan administration with, you know, in part with, with Samuel Alito, who thought that this was perfectly constitutional. Professor Willens, thanks so much for joining us on Ring of Fire. Professor Sean Willens is the George Henry Davis 1886 Professor of American History and Director of the Program in American Studies at Princeton University. You can read his article, The Worst President in History, at rollingstone.com. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Mark. This is Ed Asner. When Richard Nixon abused power, Congress held a serious bipartisan investigation that resulted in articles of impeachment. Strong evidence suggests that George Bush and Dick Cheney launched an illegal war and lied to Congress, spied on Americans without court approval, leaked classified information, produced phony news reports, imprisoned without charge, and tortured targeted civilians and used illegal weapons. Ask your Congress member to co-sponsor House Resolution 635 for an investigation. The first story on today's Rachel Maddow Show front page is about Homeland Security funding. Uh, you'll remember that when Skeletor took over the Homeland Security Department from Tom Ridge, right? When Michael Chertoff took over, he announced that they were going to change the way that Homeland Security money got distributed. No longer would Homeland Security grants be spread around like pork, like favors to powerful members of Congress. No, the system would be rationalized. And the places most at risk, the places that needed it, the place with the most obvious, commonsensical, considered terrorist risks would get the most money. Thank God. Very smart. Everybody applauded that decision. Well, the first round of Homeland Security grants under the new system were announced yesterday. And the results are that the two cities targeted by the 9-11 hijackers, New York and Washington, D.C., those two cities are losing 40% of their Homeland Security anti-terrorism money. That's the result. The math doesn't work. A 40% cut in New York and D.C. Now, that may sound strange to you. That may even sound asinine to you. But you have to look at their reasoning right here. Bear them out. They sat down their panel of Bush administration terrorism target experts. And those experts filled out their official Department of Homeland Security risk scorecards for national monuments and icons, things that might be attacked by terrorists. For New York City... The Bush administration wrote down on their little risk scorecards that New York City has zero national monuments or icons. 
because like, I don't know, the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building or the Ground Zero site or Times Square or the UN, maybe those are, well, you know, they're all in a city that votes Democratic. So maybe they just don't matter. Zero national monuments and icons in New York City, a 40 percent cut in Homeland Security funds. And for D.C. too, here's Democratic Congressman Joseph Crowley responding. There's something seriously wrong at the Department of Homeland Security, and Michael Chertoff should be ashamed of himself. Here's the response from Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer. The president promised that he would stand by New York. And I don't believe the president ought to come back to New York and express solidarity with us until he changes this formula. Even Republican kook job uh, Congressman Peter King is mad about this. To me, I'm a Republican. The Republican administration is wrong on this, and I will say it as loudly as I can. Peter King, a man who I never agree with, is right on this one. This is unbelievable to me that with their new formula of targeting Homeland Security funding based on risks and national monuments and potential terrorist targets, that New York City has zero national icons and monuments, zero, and should therefore have its funding cut 40 percent. D.C. cut 40 percent. But Omaha, huge rise in their funding. It is time for amateur hour to be over at the Department of Homeland Security. It's time for Skeletor, for Michael Chertoff to resign. And it is time for some responsible human beings with one ounce of common sense between them to please take over this stupid government. Please, I would like a new government. This is Tim Robbins. Recently in Washington, both Democrats and Republicans in high levels of government, the military, and intelligence have risked their careers, their livelihoods, and in some cases, their safety to bring information to light to expose the lies, duplicity, and potential crimes of the Bush administration. These patriotic Americans are trying to tell us something. When Richard Nixon abused power, Congress held a serious bipartisan investigation that resulted in articles of impeachment. Ask your Congress member to co-sponsor House Resolution 635, for an official investigation into the Bush administration. Last week on the floor of the House of Representatives, Congressman uh, Tim Ryan uh, gave a speech that uh, that we have played a number of times, pointing out that Newt Gingrich is referring to the Republicans as they, yeah. uh, and that a number of Republicans themselves, real honest uh, conservatives, as Tim Ryan said, with ideals, are saying that, that, that the Americans are looking at this government led by the Republicans in Congress and seeing a government uh, that, uh, that simply cannot govern and I would say does not want to govern. So if we could, hey, Seuss, we ready? Can we play a little snippet of that Tim Ryan uh, clip from, uh, uh, from last week before we bring uh, the congressman on the show? Here is Congressman Tim Ryan on the floor of the House of Representatives. On issue, the war, down. Pick an issue, the prescription drug bill, not working. Pick an issue, Katrina, FEMA, not working. Education costs, through the roof. You're in charge. You're in charge of the House and the Senate and the White House. Pick an issue. Pick an issue in this country, oil prices, gas prices, energy costs, health care costs. Pick an issue. Unable to govern. Unable to govern. And it's not my opinion. It's not your... This is their people saying they don't know how to govern. We want an opportunity. Then we find out Tuesday, 26.5 million veterans' information is stolen. I mean, you can't consistently run down government and then expect it to work. All right, so that's Congressman uh, Tim Ryan from Ohio. And joining us now from Washington, Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio. 
Uh, are you in Washington or are you in Ohio? I don't even know. I'm in Ohio. Oh, all right. Uh, well, uh, uh, joining us from Ohio. That's right. It's not, as, from Ohio. Not, as, not as dramatic as Washington, D.C., but you know. No, Ooh. but it's where actual people live and where Americans actually are. <laughs> that's who, right. Real people. Who gave you that inside tip that no other Democrats are picking up on that the Republicans are doing a bad job? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's kind of been rumored, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah we've... Uh, we're on the inside. So you, you've <laughs> given us a great ammunition, uh, Congressman Ryan, because uh, since uh, you gave that speech, what we, what we have done on the show is simply repeated, pick an issue. Pick an issue. Nice. It's, it's nice, and, and, I, and I think, uh, and I want the first question I got for you, more so than unable to govern, which is what you, uh, the words you used, and it's certainly accurate, unable to govern almost seems like unwilling to govern, or, or maybe even better than that, uninterested in governing. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. You know, trying to handle the government in the 21st century is very difficult and it's complicated. And what they've done over the past 10 or 15 years is they've boiled it down to a few sound bites. Smaller government, less taxes, you know, those kinds of little phrases that are cute and work to get them elected for a while. When you try to put that in to a system that is very complicated, it doesn't work. And that's why they've had problems with FEMA. You know, how does lesser taxes or smaller government work with FEMA? We need to talk about technology and communications and, and the, the best equipment possible for people who work for the United States government, and that doesn't fit into their agenda. That's too complicated. That's too complex for them to try to sell to the American people, and so they, they're, they're really caught between a rock and a hard place. Tim, let me ask you something about politics as opposed to uh, policy. Now, you did that speech, and it got a lot of play here, and it got... Uh, uh, some play on the in the blogosphere as well, and you know uh, you're pretty savvy with that stuff. So God bless you on that. But obviously, it was more the passion uh, than the marketing of it uh, that got uh, people interested in and that got people excited about it. So you know, it's a common question that a lot of our listeners always have, which is, why don't more people do that? Why isn't every Democratic congressman and every Democratic senator doing that every day? Well, I don't, that I can't answer. I mean, it's uh, you know we're very limited uh, on time that we get to go actually go to the floor and speak. That's one of the issues. We don't have the big microphone that the Speaker of the House or President of the Senate or the uh, uh, President of the United States has. So it's it's a little more difficult for us. Um, but the time that we do have that is limited, Nancy Pelosi has allocated a good portion of that to our 30-something group, which mm-hmm. me, Kendrick Meek, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, we go to the floor sometimes twice a night. There's four hours every night, and we go down there almost every night we can get, a, get our hands on an hour, and we go down there and we put this show on and try to communicate to you guys and the American people and lately, uh, Ryan Keating uh, and my press staff and Kendrick Meek and some of our younger guys who are doing our press have found out a good way to get this onto the Internet, a lot like what you guys are trying to do with the Young Turk Show, and try to get our message out and really use the Internet not only to organize but to get our message out. So I th- we, we've had some success because I think we're figuring out how to do it. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio. Tim, are you saying that more people are doing it and not, not enough people are seeing it? Is that the bigger problem or is the bigger problem that not enough people are doing it? And if they're not doing it as much as, 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 much as you, uh, I've seen you do it, and then Debbie Wasserman Schultz also had a bit of a strong speech yesterday, I mean last week that got some good play on the Internet as well. Uh, and if they're not doing it as much, but they see the success that you guys are having with it, is that word beginning to build in the Capitol and in the House that, hey, maybe this is a good idea, maybe we should all uh, sound a little stronger? Well, I, th- I think it's starting to work because 
just from my own personal experience, I went from not many people knowing me a couple of years ago mm-hmm. to almost all the members calling me by name, and I don't even know who they are. Um, so they, you know, they sit in their offices and they watch C-SPAN, and we're getting a lot of compliments from some of the more senior members in our caucus to keep going, keep doing it, and we're just stealing what Gingrich did and kind of taking it to the next level and using the Internet to get the message out. Um, there's, like I said, there's only limited time to actually go to the floor. Um, and so there's not an opportunity always for the Bill Pascarells of the world who are, you know, carrying the torch, too, and, and screaming and yelling and making the arguments, too. There's not enough room for all of us to go to the floor. But Nancy has, has kind of, you know, said we want the 30-somethings on the floor as much as possible and hopefully try to change the attitude. What I think we really need to start talking about now as we move through the summer and into the fall what the democratic solutions are going to be. We have a good innovation agenda. We have a good homeland security agenda. We have a good energy agenda. It's difficult to get that out, but we really need to start beating that drum because that's ultimately going to allow the average voter to say, I like what they're saying. We're going to go with the Democrats as opposed to just hating the hell out of the Republicans. Uh, I got a quick personal plug for the Young Turks, man. Are we on top of it or what? I mean, look at the the ass kickers in Congress. Bill Pasquale, Tim Ryan, I mean, we were on to you guys before anybody else was, so I feel I'm pretty good about it. Yeah, so now, you, now, we were on to you before not, the voters of Ohio or New Jersey, even. Yeah. <laughs> is now not the time to say you guys are giving me $250 cash to be on the show? <laughs> yeah, we sent it to you. It's wrapped in a tinfoil, and you should just, put it right. Just put it in your freezer. It'll be fine. Um, the, get the cold cash. Yeah. The, uh, uh, Tank was actually standing on corners with you holding signs. <laughs> um, I remember those days. Uh, Congressman Ryan, uh, first of all, you, you, you mentioned that uh, that uh, that uh, Minority Leader Pelosi encourages the the, the thirty something. What are they called? What's the name? The thirty something. The 30, it is the thirty something. Yeah. Uh, uh, to go down there and, and and make these speeches and 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 rabble rouse. But was this one of those speeches when the chamber was empty? Just I'm not trying to, to nail you on it. I'm just I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It's if if you see us on the floor, of the chamber is usually empty. There may be a Republican waiting to take the next hour, and we try to you know bust them a little bit while they're down there but uh mostly it's empty mostly we're talking to the c-span audience which is growing and uh and, and right people and you, like you and if you add the internet then and then you're right then it's a yeah it's a and, and what we're trying to do too is 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 shape the message and almost like you know now you guys are starting to say things like pick an issue mm-hmm. you know i mean these phrases will if we keep hammering them away enough Pick an issue can become a phrase that average voters are saying, hey, pick an issue. What's, what are these guys no, doing right? And, and just like they did. I mean, they, it took them 20 years, but they got everyone saying, hey, I like smaller government. I like lesser taxes. I like, You know what I'm saying? They, they were able to hammer that into the American consciousness, and I think that's what we got to do. And if we got to start on the floor of uh, House of Representatives, that's where it's all got to start. Um, beyond the amount of time that they, that they basically don't give you to get the message out, um, are people in leadership still worried to speak out in, in, you know, in fear that they would lose the limited amount of power that they have? Or are they still sitting waiting for the next issue to come out when the fight is really going to start, hopefully before 2000 or the congressional elections come through? I, I don't think they're holding back. You know, I think, you know, and it's just it's a busy, busy time, especially if you're in leadership. You're, and this is probably a big flaw in the system. A lot of our, you know, more senior members are out raising money, holding fundraisers in, in committees, you know, appropriations committee or ways and means. They meet a lot. Um, so they're, they're kind of doing that. And I just, this is like a team. And our, our role as being the young Turks of Congress are to get out on the floor, make the arguments, articulate, 
you know, what our positions are. So I don't, I don't think they're afraid to come up. I don't think they'll be hurt at all. Um, it's just a team effort, and our role happens to be at this stage of our careers to get out on the floor and, you know, get people like you guys all fired up. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, good, uh, it's a good stage to be at. I want to get back, if I could, con- we're talking to Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio, to something you said at the beginning and something I said at the beginning. <laughs> um, but, uh, you, uh, we're so smart. Yeah, we're, 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 it's a couple of really bright guys having a conversation, and our listeners are really blessed to be able to listen to this. No, um, I want to, you know, again, go back to unable to govern it and, and almost an unwillingness to govern it. And, and I want, you know, your thoughts on whether, you know, back in in the in, during the New Deal and, and FDR's, you know, four terms in office or three and a quarter, these were guys, the Republicans were guys who they didn't want Social Security. And then later in the 1960s, they didn't want Medicare. They don't want Medicaid. They don't want the Department of Education. They don't want the Department of Health and Human Services. They don't want the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, is this, I mean, do we think that ideally, and especially with running up, uh, you know, this enormous deficit, that this is sort of the play that these guys are making, that, that ultimately uh, we want government that doesn't even have any of these things, that now I think an overwhelming majority of Americans consider to be sort of basic social services. Right. Well, look at what Grover Norquist says. He doesn't want government, uh, I forget how he said it, but something about taking government into a bathtub and drowning it. Yeah. Um, you know, that that kind of attitude, and I mentioned it at, at the end of the speech that you played, that kind of attitude is negative and it's and it's stupid because to say you don't want government is the most idiotic thing you can possibly say you're not going to have a road you're not going to have schools you know you're not going to have airlines you're not going to have airports i mean let's let's be honest you're not going to have the internet you're not going to have all the research that comes out whether it's pharmaceuticals or technology all the all the technology that comes out of defense research and nasa i mean come on that is so stupid it's juvenile it's just a juvenile approach and so they're actually implementing what they said they were going to do. And look at the result. We can't respond to Katrina. We can't respond to national disasters. You know, I mean, it's just, it's not what they're saying is not working, not lifting everybody up. It's not pushing the economy forward. We're not doing what we need to do in math and science and research. I mean, we're, we're just, we're failing right now. And America's a better country than that. And that's why we get so frustrated. So, yeah, this is really, this has been their goal and that's even that even strengthens our argument to say, hey, this is what they wanted. Look at it. It sucks. You know, you yeah. don't want this. They had their chance. They implemented their program. Look where we are. Do you like it? I don't think you do. Let's go in another direction. See, Tim, I I I hope that the trend is heading in the direction you're talking about because for 20 years, basically, uh, liberals. It's not just this Bush administration. It goes way back, uh, further back than that. Liberals have been waiting for, even when I wasn't on their side, they were waiting for somebody to say, hey, listen, saying that you don't want government is stupid and it's childish, just like you said it. And not, you know, don't soft pedal it. So, look, you know, we talk about it on the show. Cops, ambulances. You know, right. Do you want these teachers? Do you want these things? Of course you want these things. The question isn't whether we should have government or not. If they say that they want to drown it in a bathtub and that is their ultimate goal, then they're anarchists. And, right. and we can't have this conversation. The question is, what in government works and what doesn't work, and why don't they want certain parts of government to work? And I just hope that you're winning this uh, you know, strategy debate, if I could say that, within the Democratic Party to punch back harder on this stuff and to push back ideologically uh, as well as uh, you know, short-term politically. Well, you know, i got to tell you, it, I, I think we are at such a, a, 
a different time and such a, a time of great change in the country for so many different reasons. And I'm, I'm just in the middle of this. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have read any Alvin Toffler books, Future Shock, Third Wave. He's, he's a futurist, mm-hmm. but his new book is called Revolutionary Wealth. And it, it'll blow you away. You all should read it and read it as much as you can. But what I'm getting the sense of happening between Thomas Friedman's, you know, the world is flat, and Toffler, right. and these things that we're, we're, we're starting to understand, we are transcending all of the old slogans that we all grew up hearing. The lesser governments, you know, less taxes, smaller government, all that. And I think the old liberal things are not working either. So I think our generation's call to be not just to be young Turks and just to go out there and smash them in the lip, but to say we have an, an obligation and a responsibility to define this new generation, to define the new slogans, to create them ourselves and to figure out how should FEMA work in the 21st century? How should the intelligence department work in the 21st century? How should education look like? We're, and Toffler talks about this. We have our kids going to school in which the very calendar is based on an agricultural economy. They teach you how to go into a factory by ringing a bell and you stand up and ring a bell and you sit down and you sit there for 40 minutes and write your name 50 million times and they ring the bell and you stand up, you take orders from the teacher. That gets you ready to go into a factory. Well, there aren't many factories left. So we need to retool this whole thing. So my point is that for us as young Democrats, liberal thinkers, progressives, we need to come up with the new slogans, and we need to figure out how to do this because we've transcended the old things. We can't say to ourselves, you know, we need to do what Kennedy did or Johnson, or we need to do what Roosevelt did. We need to say, we need to do what Kennedy, Johnson, and Roosevelt would do if they were here right now. Oh, damn, that's good. I like that. This is Noam Chomsky. Strong evidence suggests that the Bush administration launched an illegal war and lied to Congress, spied on Americans without court approval, leaked classified information, produced phony news reports, imprisoned without charge and tortured, uh, targeted civilians and used illegal weapons. Uh, Ask your Congress member to co-sponsor House Resolution 635 for an investigation. This is Jank Uger from the Young Turks. This Best of the Left podcast is awesome. After listening to these clips, go to our website at theyoungturks.com. Since the cable networks refuse to put a liberal talk show on the air, we put one on the internet. You can watch the Young Turks live every day from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And please support the show by becoming a member or purchasing Young Turks merchandise. All at theyoungturks.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, everybody. So speaking of the worst president ever and trying to trade him out for one of the best presidents we might ever have, how did everybody like An Inconvenient Truth as you went to go see it over this last weekend? I, You know, of course, I went to go see it over the weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I won't bore you with all of the it was so great and it changed my life and I'm a totally different person and, you know it's it's all true you know basically that's it's all true and so i'll just leave it at that but speaking along those same lines uh i would like to make another 
recommendation, because I've gotten a couple of responses saying that you guys like my recommendations, and so I thought I would go on a little bit different tack this time, and uh, instead of a specifically a podcast that I think is great, which is what I've been recommending in the past, uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, just thinking in the same in the same line as uh, Al Gore and his environmental and all those types of issues. I think that there's a couple this time, and I think that you should really check these out. They're actually both video podcasts, and of course, you can just watch them online, you know, if you don't have a video iPod or whatever, you can watch them online, or you can download them and watch them on the computer, but they're they're just, they're real short videos, but one is green.tv, that's their uh, website, and you can find them in the iTunes Music Store, they have a really um, beautiful looking page all set aside just for just for them in in iTunes and another is called Tree Hugger TV and both of them are right along the same lines uh just by my you know amateur eye it looks like green TV might have a little bit higher budget but they they both do really good work um green TV is more along the lines of you know dealing with environmental issues and they have actually several podcast feeds set up and they're broken down into you know things like land and water and air and people and so then they deal with issues specifically dealing with that aspect of the environment and then tree hugger tv just kind of they're just kind of all over the place they uh the the most recent video that i saw from them was about how you can uh, upgrade your brand new Prius, you know, 2004 Prius, the the super popular one, you know, for only ten to twelve thousand dollars, you can, you know, do the super upgrade and and get it up to over a hundred miles per gallon instead of the forty five or so miles per gallon that they get now. So I, I would just I would check those out. You can search for them. I'm I'm sure Google. You know, I found them in iTunes, but definitely both of them worthwhile. So that's my PSA of the day. And of course, I would like to reiterate what I said yesterday because I, I don't want to forget. Uh, this is basically for anyone who's hearing this show but didn't hear yesterday's, or you know, if you if you don't have time to listen to every show that I do, which is one thousand percent understandable. Uh, I'm I'm basically just saying don't miss Friday's show cuz I'm excited about it. It's it it might be just my personal favorite show yet. Uh cuz it's it's just chocked full. It's chocked full and a super secret special new guest contributor that I've never used before and so that'll be fun for everybody. I still haven't come up with a uh, an ironclad name for the show yet so i can't tell you what it is but it's coming out this friday which is uh and of course i don't even know the date either but just hang on it's about the media so it'll be something about the media don't don't miss that and as long as i'm promoting myself i would also say don't miss tomorrow's show because i'm planning on talking i don't even remember what the show is about that you know of course 
the, the content isn't even what you guys come for. Uh, I realize it, it's really you're just uh, kind of like, oh, geez, when when is this you know crappy professional stuff going to be done? Because I, I got to hear what got to hear what this guy's got to say at the end of the show. So uh, so at at the end of tomorrow's show, I plan on talking about something that I found very interesting. I got an interesting email over the weekend, so I thought I would discuss that a little bit. So, uh, you know, just try try to get a good night's sleep. I know that you're going to be, um, you know, I, I don't really promote, uh, you know, sleeping aids that much. I try not to use too, too many, you know, aspirin or sleeping aids, or, you know, because I don't like to become dependent on it. But I understand that if you need something like that to help you get to sleep, tonight so that you can be well rested to hear my show tomorrow i totally understand and you know if if i uh if by the things i say i excite you so much that you have trouble sleeping i would just i i really do want to apologize because that's not my intention but uh i do have a bit of an obligation to um no i made that up i don't have any obligation to anybody i'm doing this for free uh, but I, I like for people to come back and listen to future episodes. So I, I feel like that's a good way. It, in, in the professional radio business, it's called a tease. But uh, usually they just do it from one segment to the next. But not me. I have to do it one day to the next. So tune in for that. All right, that's going to do it for me. Visit the website, bestoftheleftpodcast.com. I... You have no idea how much I enjoy getting feedback from you guys. Uh, sympathizer at gmail.com. You you can't go wrong uh, sending me an email. Uh, I, I like to hear from you. I respond to uh, everyone I can. Uh, I don't think that I've ever not responded to anybody. So, you know. I can't imagine that that's actually enough of an incentive to send me an email, but maybe for some of you. The only thing I would steer clear of is um, criticizing me in any way, because I am very thin-skinned, and um, and it, criticisms haunt me at night. And uh, you know, so I, I would I would steer clear of that, just as just as a courtesy. So until tomorrow and my uh, fun discussion coming at that time, have a good one, everybody. Hi, this is Shelley of the podcast Citizen Against Lies. I'm a proud member of the Progressive Podcast Network. Visit us at newmediarevolution.org. We are podcasting information and attitude 365 days a year. Why? Because knowledge is power. Be powerful.